Blog Talk Radio. There's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird kick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue what was throwing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and looked back, and that's when I thought I saw one. It's actually attacked two railroad workers, uh, killed livestock. You know, just a lot of weird stuff that was going on. This is Gunnar Monson, along with Shane Corson. We are uh, just got done with uh, Hopsquatch and uh, Guy Edwards' monthly event here that uh, in Portland, Oregon. Um, he had put on another excellent program. Michael Zenner talked to us about um, what happens cognitively when um, someone has a Bigfoot sighting. How does that affect our brain? And I, I I was fascinated, um, and he talked about you know uh, using uh, correct interview techniques with when uh, interviewing witnesses because it's really easy to to for people to be led you know because because in that that state of agitation um, and talking about something so traumatic. Uh, Get a good interview, and as much the, that that the the uh, actual interviewee be basically in charge of the interview, in terms of um, not being not being led. So, as like I said, as with me as always is my good friend and Bigfoot researcher extraordinaire Shane Corson. Shane, how are you? Beautiful day today. Indeed, it's a beautiful day, and I'm doing well, Gunner. Um <clears throat> Just got back to my uh, my house here uh, from the Hopsquatch event. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Michael uh, Zinner did a fantastic job, um, and uh, really, just really enjoyed his presentation. It was refreshing. Well, the cool things about Hopsquatch and and it it brings all these cool people together. That and you know, Michael is actually an airline pilot by trade. 
but he uh, spent, uh, you know, sometimes a uh, guy is able to uh, bring out people's secret talents or, and uh, Michael actually had studied cognitive thinking in uh, as, as a degree in college and uh, put this program together. And like I said, I, I, uh, I found it very interesting. Uh, I, I learned a lot. Um, you know, yeah. I, as did I, I. There's probably some. I, I, there's probably some. Some. Uh, I'm sure there's some things that I've done wrong interviewing witnesses over the years. That, that, uh, in hindsight, and after listening to, learning from Michael, that, that really that, it 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 seems like common sense, but, but it's uh, something you really have to be aware of. Is someone who's been through that kind of event putting them at ease, you know. So there was a there was a yeah. lot of things that Michael talked about that that uh, would be good things for Bigfoot researchers, especially ones that that uh, interview witnesses to to pay heed to and and uh, and put into practice. You, I mean, you. Yeah, were, absolutely. You're a pretty prolific uh, witness interviewer. I mean. What were you aware of a lot of that you were talking about that, that you really have um, used a lot of those Michael's techniques in in your interviewing of witnesses? Well, I, I I've done a lot of interviews. Uh, I think you have as well, Gunner, and and um, it's one of those things where you're constantly perfecting the art of um, the you know the correct way to to interview somebody. It's it's something that is living and breathing as far as your techniques. So it's something that will change throughout time. And every, um, you know, you can't go into an interview expecting to be like every other interview because people are different. The scenarios and encounters are different. So you really got to be on your A game and take each one, each encounter or report or sighting, whatever have you, independently. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I have been using a lot of the uh, cognitive uh, um techniques uh that michael presented but some of them um were new to me and some of his ideas and uh, some of the logic behind it really rung a bell with me made a lot of sense and like i said i mean attending this event i i got a lot out of it um stuff that i i will use down the road and um like i said you know um that sort of uh presentation was just very refreshing for me personally because it uh, delved on, uh, you know, the art. I mean, to interview somebody isn't a bit of an art. And it's also simple in a lot of ways. You let your your the person that's had this encounter that's sharing with you and whatnot speak more than you do. You know, it's like 80-20, like we were talking about. You speak 20%, they speak 80. Or maybe you speak less than that. Uh, you know, you don't want to lead your, your interviewer or interviewee. You don't want to... Uh, um, go into areas where that, you know, suggest, be suggestive. It's, you know, it's very important. Uh, and there's a lot of great uh, researchers out there and, and, and enthusiasts that, that use really good techniques um, in, in getting to um, the facts or in, in hearing uh, an encounter just as it is. And, and Michael, I think, is really good. Michael Zanner is really good as well. You know, he's been a Bigfoot enthusiast for, I think, what, about 40 years now. And, uh and uh, he's very humble, but he's also, you know, he's he's fantastic at what he does. And his ideas are, are uh, you know, some might say, I mean, 
well, we're already doing that, but I don't, if this inter, you know, this presentation that Michael had done was, like I said, it was refreshing, and there was a lot of new stuff he put out there, and he really went into detail, and it wasn't boring. I, I was I was enthralled the whole time. Yeah, it was interesting. The, I mean, he was talking about using, um, but basically, it's a toolbox. You know, you don't not every like you said, not every interview. It's not a cookie cutter better thing, where, and uh, I think there is danger of in leading a witness when you're, you know, uh, talking about, well, well, did it have brown hair? Or I mean, th- those are very leading kind of. Was it hair red? You know, because you're then putting images into the the witness's mind versus they said that the best, absolute best scenario in interviewing a witness would be actually to go back to the location of of the event, which I've always thought with that that is always the best. One, it's cool for me to go um, with a witness to where they had their sighting, and you know, then cross my fingers for for a repeat of some kind. But yeah. really, it, it yeah. gives it it uh, made really good sense that taking a witness back to the location to do the interview um, relieves their mind of having to fill in those details. You know, if if you're at the place and they can kind of walk through it, that that's uh, you're basically on the set of the place that that the event took that the event took place. So, um, or as a secondary yeah, that, would be a, a place of their choice. You know, don't you know mm-hmm. make wherever they feel comfortable sharing or, or you know recounting their encounter uh, someplace where they feel comfortable rather than you go you suggesting an area that you feel comfortable. Mm, let's make them feel comfortable, and that way they're at ease and and, and can relax a little. Right, and it's important, you know. But it's interesting is that many, you know, witnesses that I've talked to have never shared their encounter with with anybody before, and uh, and a, a lot of the witnesses are are relieved, you know, that that someone is willing to listen to them um, without judgment, you know, without thinking that they're that they're crazy or or that they're worried about, you know, what that person is thinking about them, um, which is great. Um, that there there are, you know, Bigfoot researchers out there that that are open to to sit down with witnesses and allow them to share. But, you know, for a lot of people, uh, they had no context of, of Bigfoot before um, their encounter, and then all of a sudden, their you know their whole paradigm is is changed. And it's like, you know, not only uh, is it just something they'd never really given any thought to. Now they've they've experienced it, and they know you know it's real. And most people, the the lay lay person, does not really who who do they go to talk to if you've had that kind of encounter? You know that yeah. Most family people are concerned about being. You know, ridiculed by family members or friends, and and I I talked to witnesses witnesses where where they've done that, and uh, um, and they've had their their worst fears have been been confirmed. People have you know made fun of them, and and they just uh, one witness they they shared their encounter like 30 years ago with their family, and and they 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 were mocked you know, and teased about it. So they never told yeah. anybody again for 30 years. So, 
yeah, it, there's there you know that becomes a bit of a stigma that hey you're the you're the crazy uncle that that uh, looked for Bigfoot, but or, or had the Bigfoot encounter. So right, it's uh, yeah, it's, and then another you know another key thing he was talking about that uh, is always in the back of my head is that so many people get caught up with the idea of okay let's find out about the encounter, blah, blah, blah. And they get so tied up about the encounter or sighting, uh, and they forget about the person talking about it. They forget about the person. Uh, they don't focus on the person. They focus on the encounter, and they're missing out on perception um, and a lot of other little tidbits of evidence or, uh, you know, anecdotal evidence that they won't get just um, from from talking to or hearing about the encounter, but you know, they should rather focus a little bit more on the the person recounting the encounter. Right. I mean, it's this this is somebody who's who's uh, taking a a considerable leap of faith by sharing um, something which for most people is is a very traumatic event. So, I mean, that that's uh, it's important to re- really it is about about the witness, you know, and, and the encounter, and and their perception of it, and and allowing them to share as many details as and as uh, as they can, and and uh, you get the the and, and it's interesting as he shows some examples of just how questions are stated uh, affect the the person being interviewed's answer, you know, he used an example of a basketball player and asked the difference between asking, showing a picture of a basketball player and asking how tall was the basketball player, and I think people came up with six, six, seven, and then when they asked how short the basketball player was, it was like five, eight, so it was this huge discrepancy just by how the question was, was asked, so, I mean... That, that'd be like asking somebody, you know, well, how massive was this Bigfoot that you saw, you know, yeah. or, or what, you know, instead of just allowing the person to to fill in the, the details and and uh, share their encounter in, in their own words, you know, their own experience and what, what they actually do recall, not trying to force details um, it, and right, it, and it was it was a great yeah great great learning uh, opportunity today with with Mike. So yeah, Mike Mike also shared that that and I think it's been out there. Uh, I've never seen it, but I'm pretty sure uh, some of our listeners have seen it. Where it's uh, kind of a I think it was first shared with uh, I could be wrong uh, Harvard class where there you know he showed a video where and the question was before <laughs> watching the video was count how many times. Um, Basically, it was a group of people with basketballs, and there was uh, people wearing dark shirts and people wearing um, white shirts. And he wanted uh, he wanted to know. The question was, how many times? Uh, count how many times the 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 uh, people uh, the people in white shirts pass the ball to each other. <clears throat> so we're watching this video, and they're they're intermingling and they're passing the ball. Dark shirts, white shirts, passing the ball, and you had to count how many times uh, those in white were passing the ball to each other. And we're all watching the video, and I, 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 I guess the correct amount of passes, and I got that. 
but there was something else going on in the video that only a few people, I think, in, in the audience caught was that we were so uh, focused on counting how many times that those in white shirts were passing the ball, we missed the fact that there was a person in a gorilla costume that walked right down the middle of this group, stood there, beat his chest, and walked away. Uh, <laughs> there was a few people that caught it, but well, the majority, I, the I would number, say. I think, I think the way that the, that the numbers came out is so it's almost pretty consistently 50-50. 50% of the yes. people see it and 50% don't, yeah. Now, I saw it because I was familiar with the, the video. I'd seen it, you know, a couple ah, times before. So, yeah, well, I couldn't go back in a time machine. I couldn't unsee it. But, Not but I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> is the, the, uh, but I knew the, what the result would be. So it's, it is interesting because something that can be, um, and he even said that, that a high percentage they actually tracked people's where people were looking at the video at one time, and and a high percentage of people that that uh, didn't see report seeing the gorilla, um, their eyes were actually looking at it for like a full second and a half while it was yeah. in the video within frame. So that's it's just interesting how our brains, you know, fill in details or or omit details. Man. Um, if you think uh, as um, our eyes are constantly taking in data and what happens, you know, the, the pictures that we, we use as examples, like, like that your memories are in, a, are in a bookcase. And that's not really how it works. Not everything that we, you know, it, it makes sense that not everything, except unless the case your, your name is Sherlock Holmes, that every detail that you see does not, is not there for you to recall. It's not like everything gets stored indefinite or ever in your brain. Your brain filters out um, a huge amount of the, the information that is not pertinent to what you need to know. So, uh, and then well, yeah, in, in, in case, other cases, in other yeah, cases, in like, case of, you know, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say in cases like, you know, where they said there's, there's emotion, it's, it's sudden and, and um, you, there's fear or whatever involved. You, you become tunnel vision, uh, tunnel vision, and that's what that that exercise with the um, passing of the ball remind me of. Is you're so focused on what's going on in front of you, you may, may be possibly missing what's going on around you, because uh, you're so focused on this this uh, anomaly uh, or whatever you're looking at, you're missing well, your, your picture. Yeah, your and brain that's is given a task. Yeah, your brain yeah. is given yeah. that task that's, of that. counting basketballs. So, yeah, and. And so yeah, that's what your, your brain is focused on. Yeah, it was crazy. They also talked about in in situations of high stress how that your your brain there's a there's a point when you're where maybe you're just totally laid back and you're not really paying attention, so you're not really engaged in what's going on. You know, it's basically a bell curve, and and on on one end you've got like I just woke up and I'm haven't had my coffee yet, and I'm not engaged in what's going on, so I can't really recall. To a point where, you know, where it's optimized, where a little bit of um, uh, you're alert and you're focused on maybe uh, uh, a task or, you know, you're there to see something in particular, and so you're you're focused and you're dialed in, but but then um, a certain at some point, the amount of stress and 
and uh, so now you know you're out there and you're looking for Bigfoot and and you're alert and you know what you're looking for and you've done your homework and so you're you're optimized for having seen something you know that you're looking for movement you know uh-huh. in, but um, then you have the encounter and, and details will get lost because you're freaked out. I mean, when you're freaked to the point of being, you know, oh, my God, what did I see and what happened? And Or you ran or whatever, the details start to get, um, they drop off pretty quickly at some point where your stress um, doesn't allow things to stick, that you're probably in flight or fight, you know, fight or flight mode right. to some degree. So, um, yeah, just, just there was tons of, of uh, good information in, in uh Again, uh, you know, Guy put on a, another awesome pop squatch. Um, I know next month is is uh, Guy's going to be gone. I guess he's going to be at the beach, and uh, mm-hmm. we're actually going to host pop, pop squatch. Shane and I, um, we're having a special Monster X edition of pop squatch. So if you're in or near the Portland area and would like to attend uh, the Lucky Lab on Windy in uh, Portland will be uh, Shane and I are taking that taking over Pop Squatch. Um, we're going to do a, a town hall style um, uh, event. So we're inviting people. Um, Shane and I are going to be are looking for people that have have had encounters who want to share them to come to uh, Pop Squatch uh, in July, which is the third Sunday in July, which I believe is the nineteenth of our recall correctly yeah. and uh so um we're we're stoked about it uh, uh and honored that the guy uh, feels comfortable with leaving us with his baby so right i'm 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 super stoked about this event <clears throat> and i encourage those that are in the area to attend uh, or that if you want to uh share your encounter or sighting Please contact us or, or show up to this event on the 19th of July. Um, uh, everybody will be given a chance to share their encounter. This will be filmed uh, for uh, future uh, public broadcasting, and uh, it's 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 going to be somewhat similar to. And I've been a part of them, uh, the Finding Bigfoot uh, town halls. I've I've been been to them, and it's going to be similar, but it's going to be a lot different. It's it's going to be unique. Uh, I think Gunnar and I are going to handle this a little bit differently, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be unique, and it's going to be very. Uh, uh, I, I hope to do like a Q and A Q&A if anybody has questions for the guests that share their encounter, they, that they may ask the, the guests that share their encounter questions, uh, and it'll be a very relaxing atmosphere, um, but just a time for those that want to share their experience to do so in a comfortable, relaxed atmosphere. Uh, uh, amongst non-judgmental people, and uh, and I'm 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 really looking forward to it. I think we're going to act the house, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. That's a and, and uh, it's a great environment. The the uh, the lab, of course, is the brew pub. So if you enjoy the hops, that's uh, Lucky Lab puts the hops in hop squash. So um, we're excited. Um, I I'm a uh, Looking forward to here, you know, hear, having some people that uh, have not shared their their uh, encounters publicly before. Um, it's interesting because 
I own a grocery store, but uh, on the Oregon coast, but everybody knows that I am the Bigfoot grocer, so I am constantly getting having folks come in and and uh, and talk, share encounters with me and stuff. It's I mean, it makes it it's really awesome. I it, I'm I'm blessed because you know a lot of people are uh, concerned about uh, you know what people think about their fact that they they go look for Bigfoot or whatever and and I I'm not really I've never really been concerned about that and and I've got I've had a lot of support from people and and I I use it in my marketing I just did a uh, a mailing not too long ago where I talked about being out Bigfooting and and it's funny is that one of my longtime customers came in and you know, and he uh, started talking like well. So you really just leaving this Bigfoot thing? And I said I'm about you know 99 point uh, I think seven percent at that time <laughs> sure that that they exist. He's like, well, I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna go there with you then. And I'm like, well, no, you have to prove to me that they don't exist. That you know mm-hmm. you're gonna uh, and and by the time we got done talking, he said, well, I want to go out with you sometime. And you know, and he spent a lot of times in the in the woods and and has never uh, had anything happen. But I bet you if I sit down with him. It's funny how many people without they go out in the woods and without don't have any context of of Bigfoot. You know they don't. Even, it's never shown on their radar, and they've heard stuff. Even Les Stroud talked about that on on a Survivor Man. He was talking about you know how yeah. many times he he's been in the woods and heard heard trees fall over, and never really given any thought. And you know he's been in some pretty remote places, and and and. Now he kind of wonders how many times those trees just fell over by themselves, or or they or whether or not they had some help. Because that, um, as uh, as you know, Shane, in in uh, yeah. your encounter up in the Mount Hood area, that with other things, with the context of other things that were going on, is one of the things that happened was a tree was pushed over, um, and that is a yeah. fairly commonly reported event. So. Uh, it's just interesting that you know people's con without having the context of uh, they can. If I was out in the woods and I had no context of of Bigfoot and I heard a howl, I would not. My immediate thought wouldn't be to go to something I didn't even think about. You know, I oh maybe that's a coyote or or that's a weird sound or you know even the samurai chatter or or talk like that would be like what what the hell was that? And then maybe you just put it off to. To you know, eh, that was weird, and not giving any more thought. Right. So, it'd be, it's, yeah, those it's those sort of those sort of uh, uh, those sort of scenarios, when paired with uh, you know, say a tree, you know, in my case where we had a three o'clock in the afternoon with no no wind or anything, and a, and a tree had fallen across the trail, uh, you know, thirty forty yards from our our campsite. And uh, that'd be interesting and weird by itself. But we we also heard. Uh, uh, I didn't hear him. My buddy did. I heard, he heard grunts. But we did see some uh, trees being shaken violently across the lake, and heard other odd sounds and stuff uh, in an area that that had a lot of activity. Uh, that the whole scenario was weird. So those reports and stuff that include a, uh, not just a tree being pushed over or fallen over. But other tidbits, uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of people would just, oh wow, that's that's freaking weird. Uh, maybe spooked and maybe get out of there, but they won't assume it's Sasquatch. You know, it, 
nowadays they may or may may cross their mind with the amount of uh, stuff that's out there. But uh, you know, the, the ones I find interesting are always the ones that include other tidbits and not just oh, I had a tree fall over or I uh, heard a knock. Uh, well, you know, those that that have a bigger picture or other things that happen, those are interesting. And a lot of people, you know, they don't. Uh, there's so many reports out there that are not being shared. Um, you know, I have uh, I have a a friend of mine staying with me right now, um, and uh, Nathaniel York out of Michigan. He was part of the Falcon Project, and he's uh, basically just roaming around between Washington and California, or sorry, uh, Oregon here, and um, and uh, he's had many an experience and 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 quite the profound encounter in Michigan but talking to him it it's it's amazing we were talking about the other day about how many reports don't you know people don't want them out there or shared um, or that you never hear about the percentages are just ridiculously high you, you get a small portion you know and it's the same thing with the BFRO you know people think that or a lot of people assume or think that the BFRO every encounter they get or report they get gets put onto their their website quite the uh, non-truth there is the fact is they have to have a researcher go out to the field or uh, interview the witness and then write a report for it to be shared on the bfro and there is hundreds if not thousands of reports that never make it onto the bfro site because they just don't have a researcher uh, available or or um what have you they don't find it you know it's it the the, the Sighting or whatever was from 1978, and they have all these other pressing interviews or sightings to take care of. A lot of them don't make it, so you never hear about them, you know. Well, and that's true. I mean, I I was a longtime investigator with the BFRO, and there was always a huge backlog of, of reports that had in in an area called flats, which means is the area that is where reports go before they're ever investigated. And not only, I mean, you know, so there's hundreds of reports. Uh, there's you know, there's all the, the reports that are public in the BFRO, but there's hundreds and hundreds of reports that are sitting there waiting for somebody to, to go out and and uh and then for an investigator to take take that report on and go out and actually do the investigation, submit it, you know, get it approved and 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 not only that case, I know I know for a fact because I had um I had I was involved in the two investigations. When we completed the investigation, the report wasn't ever posted publicly um, for whatever reason. Uh, there was some some criteria that they used whether or not to to uh, uh, publish a report or not. One in, one of those that I know that wasn't uh, wasn't ever publicly published involved a what would have been a 16-foot-tall white Bigfoot. Actually, David Ellis and John Callender and myself all went out and interviewed the witness. And, um, I mean, that was a stretch for me, but, that I mean, the witness was actually seemed very credible. And, actually, another story came out of that where his his, uh, young son had, had seen two small white Bigfoots and he told that story un, um, on his own. Basically, was not was not being prompted by you know by anybody, and shared the story. Of, and I'm like, hmm, that 
I mean, it was, and that's hard for me to swallow. Sixteen foot. Where does a sixteen foot, you know, where does a sixteen foot white Bigfoot hide? I guess anywhere it wants. I don't know. That's the the uh, yeah. But it, yeah, there is how many? I I know Dr. Prance in in the big footprints talked about, um, you know, projected for every one report that that was made. That I believe the number he used was uh, one hundred report. Reports, you know, going unreported, or 100 right. encounters going unreported. So, and that, you know, who knows? But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's well, Gunner. That's, that's interesting. With, yes, sir. With with working with the BFRO for so long, how did the did you guys ever? What was your interview process? Was you know, especially looking back at today's uh, presentation by Michael Zander, what was mm-hmm. what was what did uh, what did the BFRO do different or teach you, or was it all self-taught, what you brought to the table as far as the interview? No, you know, the one thing they had, the BFRO had put together, like, training materials for new researchers. Now, whether or not anybody, there, there was not really any um, mechanism in place to, to assure that new researchers went through all the materials before they started doing reports. But they they had a pretty extensive like list of que- interview questions. Um, I would not say that they used the cognitive interview process, um, at least not uh, when I was involved. That that was you know that that's what was being taught as the proper way to do um, interviews. Um, it was more a list of you know how tall was it. I mean so somewhat. Somewhat, which could be leading questions, I guess, more than uh, more than the cognitive interview process. Um, and I don't think that was by intent. It's just by by you know not not knowing any better. And uh, I'm sure that's when I interviewed people that I interviewed them using the, the template of questions that that had been developed for the BFRO, so, uh, but it, so it wasn't. Has, has your approach it, since leaving the BFRO uh, changed at all, or do you, uh, well, you I think over time, somebody? yeah, I think over time my, my approach is, um, it, I, I know that it's far better to ask open-ended questions than, yeah. than uh, close, you know, and, and questions, well, did it have hair or fur? Or what color hair did it have versus did it have hair or fur? Or just to allow, like, very very much like open-ended question of what, tell me about your experience, you know, what, uh, and and just, and it's funny because uh, one of the, the phrases that Michael said is shut up and listen. You know, just ask the question mm-hmm. and then shut up. It's, uh, right. I think, <laughs> sometimes interviewers get too involved in the the process of, you know, Wanting to, well, did it, and and some of that's just from being overzealous. I think you know, it's like, well, what, well, did was it this or was it this or, you know, and uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's uh, definitely. I mean, I, I I know that my interview process or interview questions or technique over time uh, changed from asking more like specific questions to to basically uh, somebody wants to tell me their story and I just listen, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I believe we have Guy Edwards with us. Uh, so I'm going to throw Guy on here and go from there. Uh, Guy Edwards, are you with us? I'm here now. How are you guys doing? Hey, I'm fantastic, man. I'm hot. <laughs> it is hot in Portland today. It, well, I'm in an air-conditioned restaurant, and uh, it doesn't what? feel too bad. I'm, I, I'm not a fan of yours right now, guys. So I think I think you're uh, you're you're kind of cutting out. Oh, sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and go outside. But before I go, we've got some uh, people that we've got a hopscotch after party. And I want everybody to say hey, say hi, everybody. You guys hear that? I I heard a little <laughs> bit of something. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> So w- once in a while, after Hopsquatch, we have after parties and uh, where we get to reflect and talk about things just like you do on your radio show. Except yours, now, We've I been a part of those, order. and those are fantastic and a lot of fun, and you actually get to uh, a lot of times speak with the pr- presenter and uh, follow. you can have follow-up questions and whatnot. It's, uh, I, man, uh, I enjoy those after after parties. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I I heard you guys a little bit. I I was able to listen in um, a little bit earlier, and I heard you guys were talking about the cognitive interview process, which I thought was a great presentation today from Michael Zenner. Stellar. Um, we yeah. we both agreed. Yeah, it was. Um, and that's a, we were talking about the the fact that that uh, there the unhidden or the hidden talents that that exist in uh in big footing and. Sometimes you don't, you know you just don't know. It's funny because um, Mike Mike is actually an airline pilot. Right. Uh, lo and behold, he's also uh, studied uh, went went to college and studied uh, cognitive thinking. So it's uh, he did he did an excellent job, you know, and uh, a lot of lot of food for thought and and. I like the whole idea of of, uh, of the cognitive interview process, where it allows the witness to basically just share their story without you know without the prompts, without being led, and because uh, how easy it is for for uh, details to to get twisted when somebody is is asking leading questions, and a lot of times interviewers ask. You know, are are asking a series of questions. Well, was it this? Was it this? You know, as opposed to uh, just tell me your story. And, right, right. And, let, not, and then these, shutting up. These non-leading questions are, you know, uh, not only someone who ha- uh, has, you know, uh, been educated in cognitive science, but also this kind of was an echo in some parts to what um, another hopscotch we had with Doug Meacham. He's a professional hypnotist and he also um, does a cognitive interview and uh, you know Michael Zenner said as much uh, that Michael Zenner and Doug Meacham have both talked and they both were pretty much you know overlapped as far as um, the benefits of the cognitive interview um, not only are you not asking leading questions but also you know you're as an interviewer at towards the end you can actually ask them this tell the story in, in reverse direction, which I think is amazing, you know. And so um, the fact that uh, both these guys, uh, you know, hypnotism is, is a little bit different than cognitive science, but yet to have them both kind of overlap is 
is, uh, I think, also kind of a, a great example of what hopscotch can be, too, because I think mm-hmm. everybody who is into Bigfooting actually has some type of expertise or some type of knowledge um, that they don't get a chance to share with the rest of the Bigfooters. But if they're really good researchers, their own life experience kind of kind of uh, colors their their research and actually benefit and they actually benefit from it. So if they can share that information with somebody else, especially for a group like Hop Squatch, um, I think it's it's better because then it gets people to think about other parts of the whole process. So um, I know when I I go out in the woods, I'm not necessarily thinking well. Or, or when I hear big, someone's Bigfoot story, I may not always think about, okay, well, what is the cognitive process? You know, uh, what, what are good questions to ask that doesn't lead the witness? And, uh, and so now I'm going to be a little bit more conscious of it for sure. Yeah. You know, very true. And one of the other things he talked about, uh, Michael Zinner talked about was, you know, and, and Doug Meacham, you know, he does the same thing where, and he, he, I also spoke up to this at Hopsquatch was that as a interviewer, uh, you let the guest or the, the, the person sharing the encounter or what have you talk more than you do, 80 20%, you know, maybe 90 to 10%, you know, at, and you let them, you don't, you know, you're there to listen to their story. You're not there to be suggestive. You're not there to over-talk them. And it, it, it falls in line with as a, a – uh, podcast or radio show host, the same sort of thing, um, and 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 same thing with uh, Hopsquatch guy. You do little talking, but let the the person that's um, uh, presenting speak, because that's what people came to hear, and that's where you're going to get the information from. Um, and they spoke up about that. Yeah, I, I I've I've been really appreciative of how well you know this. You know, Hopsquatch is kind of an experiment in in a lot of ways. You know, um, uh, you know now we get you know sold out rooms, but that's that's the goal is to is to get these people share something that I I just don't think there's another way to to you know unless you know to get a group of people to listen to somebody speak singularly about their experience and their angle, and uh, you know I think you know, you know that that as far as um, you know, Bigfoot research, I think really, I I hope that we come to an era of when we're listening to each other in all ways. You know, uh, I mean, I, I think that I, I definitely have my own um, prejudices of, against uh, or for thinking that Bigfoot is probably flesh and blood. I don't think there's any kind of weird, too much paranormal stuff going on. But my best friends and the people who um, have probably I've learned from the most have uh, are in that camp. And so even though I may not, you know, individually, you know, fall into that camp, I will always listen to somebody that um, has a different uh, perspective because I, do, I don't want to get locked into my own. Well, and I think that's yeah. important, important, too, is that, that and I, I'm, I'm a flesh and blooder, but, but I'm also, I'm not going to discount uh, someone who's, who's had a different experience than I, I've had, um, First of all, we don't, you know. First of all, all these there's the, all these segments, you know, kill, no kill, uh, you know, paranormal and and flesh and blood and and I I don't think that that uh, it's it's necessary to I, I can we can agree to disagree. 
you know, and right. that person's experience. And and I also scientific. I don't think it's scientific to not to discount um, certain aspects that are reported uh, by by you know a number of individuals simply because it doesn't fit into a box that we like. So I mean, right. it, just just because I don't think I don't like the idea of a psych Sasquatch, uh, or I don't like the idea that that, or I don't, I, you know, I think oh, that's a that's not a something that's possible that they cloak, but if somebody else uh, has had that experience and other you know, multiple people have had that experience, and that's uh, it's, who am I to, to say you know well that that's complete crap because uh, I don't I don't want to believe it. Well, I, I didn't catch the beginning of your show, but have you guys talked about what's happening next month's Hop Squatch yet? We did, but we'd love it if you you'd share a little bit of your insight on that. Well, I, I heard there's some I'm not going to be there. This will be the first time where I'm actually going to let someone else host a Hop Squatch, and I feel like it's in really good hands. I think uh, actually Shane was the one that approached me first and asked if uh, we would ever do a town hall style one. Uh, somewhat similar to the ones that you see on Finding Bigfoot, and I thought that was a fantastic idea. I wouldn't be able to, you know, imagine how I could do that, and uh, both Shane and Gunner uh, stepped up and said that they would handle it for me. So I'm kind of excited about uh, what you guys plan on doing next month while I will be out of town. Sunning yourself, yeah, I, you I hope. <laughs> <laughs> right, I well, I will be I will I will be miles away, not thinking about you know for the first time this year, not thinking about Bigfoot, not thinking about my day job, and enjoying some sun. But uh, I will I I do feel like it's in good hands. I I think uh, the whole idea of having kind of a town hall, um, uh, you know, other people have asked me to do it if I was going to do something like that at Hopscotch before, and uh, I just never felt like I could pull it off. And uh, I have tremendous confidence that uh, that you, Shane, and Gunner will be able to pull it off. And uh sounds like you guys have already got a bunch of witnesses lined up. Yeah, you know, we, we have some fantastic witnesses uh, lined up. Uh, we're still uh, looking for more witnesses, of course. Uh, we're going to give everybody a, a time to share their encounter one out. But we're looking for more people that are willing and able to join this Hopsquatch event and share their encounters. But uh, those that we already, uh, that have agreed to join Hopsquatch, uh, and I'll tell you, some phenomenal um, encounters from some very reliable people and, and, and whatnot with different backgrounds, different areas of <clears throat> both Washington and, and Oregon. Uh, it's it's going to be, I'm, like I said before, I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be similar to Finding Bigfoot, but yet different and unique, and I really think we're going to do Hop Squatch, it's do justice, and uh, I think, uh, Guy, you'll be very happy with the results, because it's just going to be, it's going to be stellar, man, it's going to be fun, and we're going to pack this place. I love you. All right, guys, I'm sorry people are leaving, I gotta, I, I'm i sorry to cut this short, but I'm going to have to yep. head out here, i got to pay for my bill. Okay, no worries. I thought, <laughs> I, I, Thank you for joining I us. Thought, I, I thought I'd be later in the process. Us, but, I, but I didn't quite make it. Thank you guys for everything you do. I appreciate you guys giving a shout out for Hob Squatchel um, as much as you guys do. I'm really looking forward to uh, to next week uh, or next month. One thing I will say before I sign off is a lot of people are asking me, you know, are there going to be videos available of Hob Squatch? We've been videotaping them since 
since April. We have some past episodes. We just haven't got them edited yet. We want to edit them and make them sound and look professional. But I promise you within the next few months, um, if you guys aren't in Portland, you'll be able to see and enjoy what the Hopscotch event is all about. And so I'll make sure that I'll let the, the Monster X guys know when these will be all available for free on YouTube. Thank you both for letting me be awesome. on the show today, and uh, thank you for all the support. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Being the host with the most. Okay, well, that's the end of our show. Guys, don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that was, um, it's always, I mean, it's it's nice to have, like, the social aspect of of Hop Squatches is fun because we, you know, uh, just like, I I would have, I don't know where I would have ever run into, like, Joe Bielard you know, if if it wasn't for guy putting together um Pop Squad. I you know, I met right. uh, Cliff Cliff here, you know, I Tom Powell comes here. In fact Tom's got a brand new book out, um which mm-hmm. is called The Edges of Science. And Tom Powell. Tom Powell. So if you go on Amazon you can download it uh right now for uh, I think it's a buck ninety nine. So and I did download my copy while I was in Hop Squatch. With so, Kindle, uh, yeah, love download it on your Kindle. You can watch it, you know, read it on your on your phone or your iPad or your iPad or whatever electronic device that you have. You know, the wristwatch. I don't know what they've got now that you can read on, but but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Tom Powell, he he had done a presentation a while back that that was a kind of an outline of of the book, and I was I was looking forward to. Uh, in fact, I think I messaged him on Facebook a while back asking him when when uh, his book was coming out. So, uh, Tom Powell, Edges, The Edges of Science, um, on, I mean, there, of course you can get hard copies of it, but uh, it also is available on uh, Amazon Kindle, so you can download it, and, and uh, I'm sure it'll be interesting. Tom, you know, Tom is, is, uh, wrote The Locals quite a while ago, he was kind of a uh, a lead leader in the kind of paranormal being public about uh, there being a possibly being a paranormal aspect to uh, Bigfoot, um, and you know he, he used to be a hardcore uh, flesh and blood investigator. Uh, was involved with the BFRO at one point because I. Um, Tom actually, I don't know if he remembers, but he he's the one that that led to me meeting Tom, Todd Neese. Um, and Tom Tom was an investigator with the BFRO, and some what, there were some sightings up in the area where uh, Todd had had his encounter, and uh, I was an investigator of the BFRO. So uh, I can't remember. I think the other gentleman's name was Jim, and Todd and Jim and I met on at, on Saddle Mountain and. And Todd took us on a tour where, not where he'd had his uh, initial encounter, but he'd had an expedition up there with, I believe, with Ron Moorhead, and I know Peter Byrne um, in the Saddle mm-hmm. Mountain area. And uh, it was it was a good time, and Todd and I have become good friends since then. And in fact, I was t- watching Todd. Todd recently purchased a new drone and mm-hmm. uh, actually had it out in the parking lot of the Lucky Lab after Hop Squatch and was uh, uh, demonstrating it, that that's some amazing technology because it isn't 
isn't so much, you know, people talk about, it, it came up during the, the Falcon Project uh, idea was that, you know, the drone, a drone will get blown off course, and, and I watched Todd swat that thing more than once, and it, it, it did not move from uh, its course. It's, I think he set up up to, like, 22-mile-an-hour winds. Um, it wouldn't move it's it. It's phenomenal. It, yeah. yeah, and uh, um, the thing can go up, you know, 400 feet in the air, and um, mm-hmm. so it, it's it'll be interesting to see how, as you know dr- drones become uh, more commonplace, more people, uh, more laymen, so to speak, own them. That uh, what that will will. Uh, What that will yield, if that will yield anything. Speaking of the yeah. Falcon Project, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, we, I, you know, I, I've been, I, I had a lot of hope for for getting the potential of, of the Falcon Project, with or without. You know, I I know there was conversation about the the blimp, and um, when we had William Barnes on the show, um, I asked him about the financing for the blimp and. And uh, he he guaranteed that it was going to happen, but I I was a little uh, concerned when he was talking about that the money wasn't in place yet. So you can't really have a blimp without um, the finances to build a blimp. And it sounds like I mean some guys showed up, uh, some of the the ground members, the team team members yeah. of the ground crew showed up. But, in the area where they were supposed to go out, um, they actually took it upon themselves and went out into the field. Um, some things, and, and at this point, it sounds like Falcon Project is kind of uh, derailed for uh, for good, as far as I'm I'm hearing. So, uh, well, but, but it, you but, know, it may or may not be. Um, I know William's working on it again, but um, it it's quite honestly been tainted now uh a lot of people were disappointed especially those that went out on a limb to make it out here to uh well they went to washington and and though and though not everybody made it out there those that did uh did have some well there was a sighting and there was also some other things witnessed by multiple people at least heard uh, it was uh, disappointing because if they had the equipment and the funding um, that they were promised, it, 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 it you know could have gone a lot of different directions. It could have been a little bit more positive. But unfortunately, you know, it didn't go the way it was said to have gone or planned out, and that's unfortunate. And it uh, uh, it was a big letdown. Now, whether this thing, you know, takes off again or doesn't, I don't know. But at this point, it's, uh, you know, there's little to be, be taken away from that, um, unfortunately. Well, you know, it's the best laid plans. It, uh, uh, I don't know how many of the, the actual ground crew had shown up before. Because those people committed to being out in the field for what is it, six months? Is that right? Six yes. months? Yeah. Yeah. Six months. So, with with some of them maybe possibly staying longer depending. Right. So that that 
that's a bummer because those people rearranged their lives to to go commit to this be you know citizen scientist out in the field. But um, yeah. the fact that well, they, you know, I have out, they were out there for just a little bit and had uh, in in the area that had been selected the initial research area and had some activity to me uh, shows that the validity of the idea of the of that kind of endeavor. Yeah, it's pretty the endeavor was the ideas and everything behind it was you know were, were rather phenomenal and unique. Um some may argue otherwise, but I found it to be a unique approach and and whatnot, but uh unfortunately, you know, um not not you know, it did not fall together the way it was planned. Uh maybe maybe it was rushed. Uh maybe uh you know, there not all the ducks were in a row. You know, I have um a very smart young man, a very intelligent young man, a very enthusiastic young man that's had um a sighting staying with me in San New York that had an encounter back in Michigan <clears throat> and uh Hearing some of the the positives from the Falcon Project and some of the negatives kind of shed a new light for me. I wish he could join us tonight, but um, he's out at the moment. But he, Nathaniel York, wow, what a fantastic individual to have as part of the Falcon Project, as many of the others uh, that were part of Falcon Project, you know, including Kirk Brandenburg, uh, guys I respect highly, um, very knowledgeable and experienced outdoorsmen and what have you. And it's just unfortunate it came to be this way, but. Nathaniel New York, you know, he's he's staying with me right now. He's uh he's out here in the Pacific Northwest now from Michigan and he's he's spending so much time out in the woods and in different areas just connecting with researchers and doing his own research out here and collecting data and uh, I was I'm really impressed with Nathaniel and uh with his knowledge and ideas. Uh, he's just a shining light me and I think he should be for many others out there. There's a, quite a few young people out there, like River Gibbs is another one uh, that are kind of um, upcoming uh, individuals uh, that have a lot to um, offer to the, the the Bigfoot Sasquatch subject. And uh, I'm, I'm stoked he's staying with me. We, we we've been staying up late, having great conversations and, and ideas <laughs> and sharing data and stuff and. Um, <clears throat> uh, Perhaps we should get him on the show because uh, he's he is a very enlightening uh, young man. Well, I had an opportunity to to chat with uh, Nathaniel. Uh, is that right, Nathaniel or Nathan? Yeah, he, he go, his name's Nathaniel. He goes by Nathan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I had a chance to to talk to to Nathan uh, briefly after Hopsquatch, and uh, yeah, very bright kid. Uh, and uh, seems very pragmatic about his his the way that he he talks about the topic and and even the encounters that he's had he's not you know he's seems very level headed and and uh, I've been out with young people before that have, you know are are everything is Bigfoot and and very uh, enthusiastic you know but. But uh, not real level-headed. They're you know they're skewed towards Bigfoot. They really want to have a Bigfoot encounter and have Bigfoot have Bigfoot stuff happen. But uh, Nathan, Nathan seems like you know very level-headed kid, and he made the boast 
don't think he's making the most out of a potentially unpleasant situation. He came out here to to uh, be involved in the Falcon Project and and uh, is basically uh, extent now is on an extended Bigfoot safari. So good for him. Yeah, exactly. You know, he was uh, he is Cliff. Well, well, now that he's in Pacific Northwest, he's not so much. But he was Cliff Brackman's. Uh, um, contact uh data collection for that part of the country and he's been he's very diligent about the science of it collecting the moon phase bronc pressure um and, and collecting all these different reports and, and adding all of this data to his own personal database and sharing it with cliff cliff sought him out because he is a very intelligent young man and 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 like i said uh he took the opportunity to come out to the falcon project to do to be a part of it and having no expectations, as he told me, he had no expectations. If it failed, it failed. No worries. He was going to come out here and experience the Pacific Northwest and connect with people. And, and that's exactly what he's doing right now. He's a very positive, uplifting person. Uh, as many of the Falcon Project uh, um, individuals are that, that joined the project. Um, you know, But he's decided to stay out here, and he may live out here permanently. He's, he's enjoying it. He's loving it. Uh, we went out... Uh, over the weekend to an area I go to in Mount Hood and um, and had a great time, uh, you know, just talking over a campfire and uh, talking about audio and, and evidence collection and whatnot. And uh, he is, uh, like I said, I uh, can't speak highly enough of him. I, I'm really uh, enthralled that he's out here, and, and I hope to encourage him and help him out uh, being out here as much as he's uh, in, in encouraged me and, and – and shared some new ideas and stuff like that. So it's it's uh, I'm 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 stoked about the that he's out here. Well, it's great because he and he couldn't have a, a better mentor than uh, than Mr. Shane Corson. I mean, you are that's you're a consummate researcher, and you you know you spend a lot of time uh, not just re- well, researching <laughs> Bigfoot topic per se, but but things re- that could tie into it, and, and we've had some good conversations about you know, primate behavior and and uh, just it, you know it, it's a, I'm sure it's it's got to be fun for you to have have somebody like that as a house guest. So. It is, uh, and you give me far too much. Uh, you're blowing my head up here, so stop. But, uh, <laughs> there's 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 plenty of people like yourself, Gunner, and others out there. Um, people from the Lent Project are just phenomenal. And many other individuals that you won't find online that just do their thing without um, being out there at all, and I, that's what I love. But it is nice to have someone out here that's level-headed and grounded, um, mm-hmm. that is very skeptical with evidence, and goes about the right way of collecting evidence, and is open to ideas and whatnot without being closed-minded or or um, has an ego. Uh, there's just far too many egos and and. Well, in any realm of life, and Bigfoot's not excluded from that, the subject matter. And it's just <laughs> nice to have someone of that nature, you know, um, that just wants to learn and, and study, uh, for those of us that know Sasquatches out there, to study the, the phenomena. And, uh, um, you know, uh, Nathan actually has been included in the Olympic Project and uh, will be attending um, many Olympic events. Uh, Derek Randall's asked, you know, Derek Randall's got to meet 
uh, Nathan for the first time and, and loved the guy to death and, and found that he could attribute and bring stuff to the table that he included in with the Limb Project. So he's a newly Limb Project member, and uh, I look forward to working with him on that. And speaking of which, I mean, we're going to be heading out to the Limb Project next weekend, right, Gunner? That's, yeah. There's a... Uh... I, I just I, I don't know a lot of what's going on yet, but it sounds like there's some exciting new developments um, from that are that the Olympic project is involved in. So um, yeah, we're yeah, heading up to, to the Olympic Peninsula next weekend for to uh, I guess guess for a briefing is part of the you know to be brought up to speed on what's going on, and so I'm looking forward to that. It's always one. It's always it's great people to be around, but it's also the 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 area is spectacular, and uh, I'm I'm hoping to get out and look at uh, at the, the rock caves that that uh, or the boulder field that you that I have not seen yet, but uh, you've described as being uh, an interesting area. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're basically going up there for uh, a briefing. We've got some exciting. Uh, exciting stuff going on right now, and uh, not everybody with the Olympic project is caught up. So we're, we're going to do a, a, a get together briefing. We are going to go out in the field and do some research. Uh, we're going to collect some game cameras and stuff of that nature. But it's going to be time for the Olympic project members to get together and discuss some of these new um, findings and and stuff. And I just got to say, you know, uh, I'm super excited about the direction that the Olympic project is going right now. And um, I'm excited because many of the Tilma group members that we're a part of as well, Gunner, are um, going to be there, and they're also OP members. It's it's uh, there's a lot going on right now. You know, I remember uh, the beginning of the year, right before the beginning of 2015, people were saying, "Oh, it's going to be the same old thing, hoaxers and no evidence and blah blah blah." I was very optimistic, and I'm glad that I was because. This year has has really, uh, for me, I think for the Link Project and the Tilma Group and for other individuals, is start out with a bang, and it's only getting better. And, uh, you know, we're all going to do our due diligence and, and uh, vet the data that's coming in and, and the evidence that's coming in and, and whatnot, and, and eventually it will be public. But uh, I'm just excited. I, I, I can't say enough about the stuff that's going on right now, and uh, it's just an exciting time to be involved in this subject and be involved with the members uh, that take this subject serious, you know, that uh, we're not looking to bag anybody. There's no egos involved. We're just um, tunnel-visioned on research, and it's just an exciting time to be involved in this subject and uh, upwards and onwards, you know, uh, and and don't, you know, I'm not focused on the negativity or uh, the stuff that comes out of being involved with this subject. Uh, it's just uh, life's too short. Uh, I'm going to focus and plug ahead like many of many people. And, you know, I'm, I include, you know I, I mentioned the Lent Project and the Tillman Group. Well, there's other groups out there that are doing the same thing, that have great stuff going for them, and I encourage them to keep doing it and collaborate and uh, whatnot. So it, it's exciting. Um, you know, I'm just I'm stoked. Well, I know that. I mean, we had Charlie Raymond on the show last week, and he had just uh, over. I mean, right before uh, he'd been on the show, that within days had had a 
a witness from Oregon contact him, and actually it's maybe an hour away from where I live on the coast, and uh, Charlie was kind enough to contact the witness and, and ask, you know, if the, the witness would, would want to go out with uh, some people from our group to to the site where he had his encounter, and uh, and I know that, uh, and Charlie got and he said, "Sure, that'd be you know he'd like to do that." And and I know that you spoke mm-hmm. to to uh, him on the phone uh, extensively uh, since yeah. then. And yeah. at some point in the near future, we're all going to go out and check out. It's funny because that you know he his area uh, there's some overlap in where his he's had experiences with with our research area or or nearby uh, that that. Uh, Corroborate some of the our our findings and stuff. So it's 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 really cool to have uh, uh, have friends of that that when they find things that that are in your area that you they're willing to share that and and that's huge with the Olympic credit too because I don't you know I'm not uh, privy to exactly what the the new um, mm-hmm. evidence or whatever the new you know whatever uh, Derek wants to share with this is and how much will sh- you know how much will be shared publicly or whatever but but it's right. cool because we we can always learn you know the, 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 to me the Olympic project is has been going longer than our group and and uh, oh yeah we 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 lear- have learned a lot about how to process evidence you know from auditory stuff and and what things to look for and and it's an opportunity for uh to expand and, and get better at what we're doing in the Tillamook group as well, which our group is getting together this week to um, to chat about uh, what what directions and some things that, that we'd like to to uh, do in the near future. So, well, you know, the fun part of Bigfooting is really going out in the field and and uh, and uh, Bigfoot camping or uh, you know. Doing doing field research, and then then there's some organizational stuff that has to happen too. You, know, you got to have communication with people that you're working with. But, That's and, important, uh, yeah. Yeah, we, you know, and and I jump in here real quick and backtrack a little mm-hmm. bit with the, uh, you know, Charlie Raymond <clears throat> did indeed, um, you know, we talked about the uh, encounter report he took in from Oregon. You know, he's in Kentucky, and he shared the uh, he got the blessing from the individual to. To contact him, and uh, when I, after after I got off the phone, after a couple of hours later of talking to him, the the encounter um, he had, well, he had a lot more to say. He had a lot more information that was never shared in the report uh, about different areas and stuff um, that just blew my mind. But also, so, I'll tell you what, correlated with a lot of the stuff we got going on, uh, in, um, paralleling some of the evidence and areas that we're in. That uh, and this is what I'm talking about collaboration. Uh, if if Charlie Raymond never posted that report uh, and never shared the contact info, never would have knew some of the stuff that I've uh, or the knowledge of that I got now. Um, that just ties in with a lot of things. It's it's phenomenal, and that's why collaboration is so key. And uh, you know, I, kudos to Charlie, man. I'll tell you what, no no ego there. Just here, hey, here you go. Here's some. Uh, Here's a contact. Here's some some of the stuff I've got. 
uh, man, phenomenal. And and this this contact that had this encounter here in Oregon shared some other stuff with me. And like I said, it just all ties together, paints a better picture. You start building patterns. Um, the individual I interviewed, you know, he talked about these patterns and stuff. And um, he's a hunter, and it just you get a lot of uh, corroborating evidence from corroborating with other researchers and individuals. It's just, uh, like I said, I'm, I, this year has really just been a blessing to me with the amount of stuff that's coming in right now. It's almost overwhelming. And um, I'm just, I'm just uh, you know, I'm a positive individual. And, uh, uh, you know, a question I got PM to me was, actually, was it, P- it might have been in our Monster X group on Facebook, was mm-hmm. about... You know, the evidence, uh, are you guys going to do different techniques? Do you want to talk about different techniques that uh, have not been done? You know, all these techniques you guys are talking about have been done in the last 30 years and with no positive results. Well, I, I disagreed with that person because I think that we look to what's been done in the last 30, 50 years, and though we do use some of those techniques or, um, you know, ways of, of, of looking at the evidence, but we, we, we also look at technology that's out there now and capitalize on that and capitalize on different ways to do what's been done before. And I see things um, evolving in a different matter where, where we are collecting data uh, extraordinarily and putting into a database uh, with, with uh, patterns being formed from, the, from that collection of data as well as just the research methods in the field, uh, it's it's rapid. It's and we are getting results. Uh, I think. I mean, that's my opinion. Uh, what's yours, Gunner? No, it's um, the the science part of to me for bigfooting is trying different things. That, and um, unfortunately, in the past, there there may not have been good records of of things that it, you know some general things that have been done, but. Um, specific uh, experimentation that, that hasn't been done. We have some things, and that's one of the things we're going to be talking about amongst the Tillamook group this week is is we've had, we've discussed some ideas and how do we go about implementing those things. Uh, and we don't, we don't share everything in openly in the, you know, on the internet or, I mean, we'll tell our, our people that we collaborate with and our friends uh, information, you know, things that we've tried or, or, but uh, I, I think there's, there is a, a bit of a danger. Like the, I one, one of the, like one of the downsides of, of finding Bigfoot is, is that, you know, what used to be kind of quiet techniques that people used to use when out Bigfooting, like tree knocking and, and doing vocalizations, you know, to what, um, how effective those are at actually proving Bigfoot. Well, they haven't been, they haven't been effective in proving Bigfoot because we're still looking. So, right. Uh, but but there's been, you know, I always picture a, a comment strip of of people on one side of a hillside howling or knocking, and then somebody on the other side of the uh, hillside. Responding, and it's you know two sets of Bigfoot researchers or two people that who watch too much finding Bigfoot, and mm-hmm. so I mean it, it makes it more 
and my response, I mean, we still, the the burden of proof is, is on us, you know, and we still, it, it makes us have to up our game uh, considerably to, to uh, process data and eliminate all other possibility before we announce anything as this is uh, unknown because right. unless we see, you know, unless we see Bigfoot do it, it, it I, I can't with good conscience say, well, Bigfoot did this because, mm-hmm. you know, I I did not see Bigfoot knock on a tree or mouth pop or or howl or but but we can find pieces of evidence that that we don't have that we can actually measure and don't we can't uh, apply it to any known animal. So uh, right. And one uh, of the one of the, the uh, we just had a ahead. question from the chat room. Sorry, one of the questions from the chat room um, from the individual was that what it where does the TFR, you know, our Tilma group, um, what are our plans? Where do we see us, ourselves going? you want to answer that? Um, well, we're continuing to to gather evidence, um, process that evidence as thoroughly as we can, and by far the largest uh, amount of evidence that we're collecting is audit, auditory stuff. So, you know, uh, howls and whoops and... and vocalizations and all kinds of, you know, rocks being clicked together uh, or, and that, and I'm, I'm saying rocks click together, but I don't know exactly that's what it is, but sounds of clicking. <laughs> so I, I try to be very careful about not, you know, assuming a conclusion of what, what something is, but uh, so uh, where, where are we going? Our, our ultimate goal is to, to contribute to, the uh, confirmation of uh, up to now unproven species. So it's a long, it isn't, you know, the the shortcut is to go out and try and shoot a Bigfoot. I mean, that's the shortcut. You could go out with a bunch of high, um, how effective you will be at doing that. I mean, if it was easy to do, I think it would already been done. Um, But uh, short of that, there's only really three ways to, to prove they exist a live or dead specimen or a long-term research project where you can, you know, you can document uh, repeatedly and and with with hard evidence, video, yeah. you know, photographs, DNA, um, and other corroborating evidence that uh, a long-term source uh, subject or a study via, say, like Jane Goodall kind of study that, that uh, that can be confirmed and and then it basically gets the scientific community involved. And people right. say, well, the scientific community, you know, isn't it? Yeah, well, we part of that is is on uh, the citizen scientists that go out and and the way that things there's a certain way that things have to be presented and documented to in order to get science involved. So, and I I'm totally for um, reaching out to people that that uh, and uh, I'd love to have a primatologist on our show, you know, to tell us, hey, what what are we doing wrong, or to listen to some of the stuff right. that we've collected and tell us, yay, yay, I mean, oh well, that's this. I know that's not a primate, or or you know, or blah blah, or I don't know what that is. Where'd you get this from? 
Yeah. Or that, you know, or, or definitely that is a primate sound. You know, where'd you, where'd you get it from? Right. But. And to be, and to be honest, uh, how many? If you look at reports and encounters, they've come from um, people doing average things. We talked about this on the show before. Uh, you know, including my encounter, I was just out fishing. I wasn't uh, technically uh, squatching bigfooting, looking for evidence per se. Um, a lot of these encounters and reports come from average people doing average things, where it's camping, hiking, uh, driving along a road. Um, that's where they get these encounters from, and they're unexpected, you know. And a lot of researchers go out to areas where, they, you know, these reports come from, <clears throat> expecting uh, something to happen, and they start doing, you know, using techniques that have been tried time and time again, whether it's wood knocks, call blasting, calls, uh, rock clanking, the whole nine, and, uh, you know, sometimes they get something of interest and sometimes they don't. But, uh, you know, one of the key things that I do is I act like an average individual, but I put myself in a situation where um, there's a probability uh, that something may happen, and that's just, you know, my own personal idea, uh, you know, and, and that's key, is putting yourself in an area or a situation where, you may get some sort of encounter uh, or, uh, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean you go to an area where there's been 100 reports or 100 encounters. Sometimes you put yourself in an area where there's no encounters, no reports, but there's a lack of human um, activity going on. Those those areas I love the best. You know, I look for water resources, uh, food, you know, natural resources, food, um, shelter, the whole nine, uh, vantage points. Uh, if I was a predator or something, I, I try and put myself in those areas, uh, and I don't always necessarily look at <clears throat> uh, an area with a ton of encounters. I, sometimes I look for an area where there's a lack of encounters and a lack of people, because perhaps those areas you may get uh, because of lack of, you know, it takes two things to make an, uh, uh, an encounter, right? A Bigfoot and a witness, but if you put your, yourself in areas where there's a lack of people to be a witness doesn't mean Sasquatch couldn't be there. just means there's a lack of people. And I like those areas a lot. Um, most times they're super remote and hard to get to and and very, you know, hard to research. But I think that's where you got to put yourselves a lot of times. And, um, but, you know, with, 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 with that sort of research, you know, um, quote, research, but that's where you got to put yourself, I think. And you don't need to... I, personally, I don't, you know, we rarely do wood knocks or calls or, you know, that's, that's when I'm out in the field, if there's nothing going on, that's like a last resort, you know, uh, that's the thing I use last. I've, I've got nothing else going on, but, well, i got nothing to lose, maybe I'll do that, maybe I'll do a wood knock, maybe I'll do a call and see if I, you know, can do, you know, bring something in or whatnot, but, uh, you know, uh, we really don't know what the heck a wood knock is, we don't know uh, what a call does we know nothing uh we just assume things like we assume that that will attract the sasquatch in if they're in the area or we assume that's what they do but uh i think you better your chances by just putting yourself out in an area where sasquatch may be and uh, does that make you a researcher no (laughs) it just makes you interested in the subject and uh, thinking outside the box perhaps and by putting yourself in those situations when that's I, I always used to t- tell people, I mean, you have 
if I where I'm sitting now in my car in downtown Portland, I I would say the probability of me having a Sasquatch encounter at this moment are are infinitesimally small. I mean, are 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 basically zero. So, but if I'm in the middle of the the woods in an area, and I like to look like you do, I like areas that maybe have uh, histories of reports around um, around an area, and then there's a there's a a hole where there's not there's not any reports. Usually, those are areas that are very remote, like you say, and 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 all we have is theory. And my my gut tells me that 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 the part of the reason that we don't have not um, proven the species so far to date is that they they aren't they don't spend a lot of time in the most populated. They know where people are. So they're right. they avoid the area, and they are they are very you know as remote as they possibly can be. And most human population, even when we go out in the woods, ninety percent of the time that human activity takes place in campgrounds and on on established roads, and yeah. and ten percent of it is hunters, you know, walking through the woods with guns. And even in that, even in those circumstances, people in on on roads have have bigfoot encounters and pe- and hunters have bigfoot encounters but yeah and I, you know i i was driving through the woods a, a, a good portion of the day yesterday and you know saw eight deer and uh two little fawns and and you know we were keeping account and like there's some number of uh of uh you know i start theorizing in my head it's like okay how many times do I see a deer on a road before I see a Bigfoot? You know, is it a thousand deer? If I get to a thousand, I know I'm getting close, you know, because that, to me, I was like, uh, my, my theory mind was like, well, that gives you some idea about uh, uh, proportion of, of population, of how many road sightings of, of deer versus Bigfoot. Then there's some other factors. I mean, are they nocturnal or whatever? But, uh, it just you know you go out there and you you put yourself like you said you put yourself in the best possible uh, scenario location um, and and hope that something happens. Um, it's not that yeah when you go that, out it's not to those techniques the rock you know don't don't yield some kind of response um, on occasion. Mm-hmm. I just don't I, I don't think uh, obviously they don't prove, prove Bigfoot to exist except possibly to the person that's doing that. You know, it's a cool Bigfoot to create, have a Bigfoot experience versus doing Bigfoot research and trying to document uh, evidence. Yeah, you bring you bring up a great point, Gunner, because uh, you know Derek Randall's he 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 loves going out at night and doing uh, research, but Derek Randall's you know with the project is very much about doing daytime stuff uh, because when you go out at night, what are you really looking? To have happen, uh, you know, um, um, yeah, you can therm some stuff, and that's when you're going to therm something is at night. Uh, but during the day, you're looking for, you know, hair uh, impressions, you know, tracks, um, you know, um, bedding areas, the, um, the physical evidence. But at night, you're not so much looking for the physical evidence as much as you're looking for an encounter. I mean, that's how the Bigfoot world sees it, right? But it's important, very important to 
uh, as a researcher enthusiast, someone that's just you know plainly interested in the subject, if you're 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 really uh, solid about doing some solid work on this thing, uh, that you do a little bit of both and 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 put yourself in those areas where you feel that you have a good chance of of um, you know everybody's looking for an encounter, you know everybody wants an encounter, a sighting, sure, but. I think it's important that you do your due diligence and and go to areas where you know you're just uh, trying to learn about the area as much as you're trying to learn or have you know an encounter if that's what you're about. Uh, so uh, very important to to uh, research the areas that you're in and research the subject matter and uh, be very open-minded. Um, I know we're short for time, Gunner, so I'm going to let you wrap mm-hmm. up the show. All right. Well. One, I'll touch on one last thing. We, one thing we're talking about, they're talking about our Tillamook group is, is we're looking at now um, overlaying what we know and what we've learned over the, the last couple of years of being in the same area and, and starting to narrow down where, you know, this is a good area to start looking for, uh, concentrating on looking for evidence. And uh, that's one of the things that, that uh, our group is going to be uh, focusing on ongoing so it uh this is uh gunner monson along with shane corson of course i am uh, also the founder of sasquatch coffee as you might have heard at uh, www.squatchcoffee.com we appreciate you uh coming by and, and listening to uh monster x this uh weekend on father's day and i'd like to again thank shane for for being here on father's day and mr guy edwards for putting together another cool hop squatch and uh, Mike Center for putting on a great presentation and everybody that showed up and uh, shared the Sasquatch experience here today. So uh, next month, Monster X Radio will be uh, hosting hop squatch here in Portland. So if you can make it, get here. Um, if you have an encounter to share and you'd like to let us know, you can send us an email at uh, monsterxradio1 at gmail.com. Again, that's MonsterXRadio1 at gmail.com, and uh, we look forward to uh, hearing from you. And that's all we got this week until next Sunday, uh, which we will be having another encounter show. Uh, Please join us then at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and we are out of here. Keep it squatchy.